Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988 for Saturday of the month. So we have Farmer Greg. Not only do we have Farmer Greg, we have him in studio in the flesh. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So good to see you again. Over the last couple of years, we've done a number of Zoom uh, calls and then with your relocation to uh, North Carolina. We've continued the Zoom calls, but yeah. you're actually in studio today here in Arizona. I am. We're here for the citrus round of our fruit tree education program. So, Well, tell me about that. Well, uh, so the way our program works is we educate people throughout the year on how to grow successfully grow fruit trees and get fruit off of your trees. That's a really important piece. And people can pre-order citrus trees for pickup uh, at the end of September. We're here. And they can pre-order deciduous trees, so peaches, uh, apricots, plums, apples, those kinds of things for pickup in January. So I'll be back in January for about three weeks. And today, if you're following along in our home maintenance calendar, you know we're talking planting your citrus. So it's not only planting, but like Farmer Greg said, we want it to produce fruit. It's been a great rain season if you already have citrus this summer. They are, or at least ours are a very rich green from you know just whatever that that rainwater does that you can't duplicate with irrigation well no right exactly well and a buddy of mine said to me about a year and a half ago um a guy i knew from high school he said yeah when you get your thunderstorms and then it rains it brings nitrogen mm-hmm. because of the nitrogen is forming in the and the clouds. lightning and the right and i didn't know that and i did a little bit of research and it that's what's going on and we had a ton of lightning and the trees and, and the rain. And, I mean, you can tell it was a good, yeah. it was a good season for yeah, the plants. Exactly. But if you're just starting. If you're just starting, there are, well, first of all, you can go into most nurseries in every big box store and they, can, they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit here. And that's why I started doing this 23 years ago, educating people on how to select the right trees and so we do our education, and then we only bring in the right trees. And, um, and the, you know, you plant them the way we suggest, and in three years you're going to be eat one, eating wonderful fruit off of your fruit trees. And how long will these trees last? I mean, is this an investment that's going to be a 20-year lifespan, a 30-year lifespan, a 50-year lifespan? A 100-year lifespan? So that's the cool thing. I, I actually grew fruit trees from 1974 in Phoenix until I left this year. And so I have sat through the entire life cycle of many trees. And what I have found is that the deciduous trees, deciduous means trees that lose their leaves. So the ones that go dormant in the wintertime. So again, apples, peaches, apricots, plums, pomegranates, figs, those kind. Um, If you get 30 years out of them, you're doing really good. And if you use the techniques that we're using uh, with foliar feeding and fertilizing and mulching around the basin of the tree, you can you can expect to get 25 to 30 years out of out of those trees. Citrus, on the other hand, is a bit of a magic thing. Uh, at the urban farm, 
which is about six blocks from the studio here, there are two Arizona sweet oranges on the property that were planted. Are you ready for this, Gary? Drum roll. <laughs> in 19, the 1920s. So they are 100 years old. Wow. Yeah, right? And still producing. And still producing. And still producing. And uh, John McAfee wrote a book somewhere in the mid-60s. It's called Oranges. And uh, it's really a look at citrus on the planet. And he found one citrus tree that was reportedly 479 years old. That's just like, whoa, really? So, so that was in the 60s. And if that tree's still here, we're past 550. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Exactly. And do you remember where that tree was? Was it that would, back in Asia? It would, No, interestingly enough, it was in Europe. They kept it okay. in, um, in greenhouses in Europe. Very interesting. So I did. Now, was I, it still producing? I mean, it was alive. Was it producing? <laughs> I, I think it was. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I snuck back with me two uh, citrus trees on the truck when we went back to North Carolina. So I have I have my two favorite citrus, well, my favorite citrus tree, which is the Caracar Naval, and Heidi's, my partner's favorite citrus tree, is the um, Mineola Tangelo. So I have one of each of those back there with oh, us. I love tangelos. Growing. They're so easy to eat. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like... And those will, be, those will have to grow in a greenhouse. And... When you took them back, I mean, were they already in a pot, or did you have to yeah. top root them? Okay. Yeah, no, they were potted. Um, so that's called bare rooting, and bare rooting trees you can do for the trees that go dormant. The citrus, you can't so much do that with them. I was just trying to picture the size of these trees, and if you're out there with a shovel and you were digging them up out of the ground to take with you on your <laughs> on your packing list, D- dig up the citrus. Yeah, Ch- no. Check that off the list today, Heidi. <laughs> right? No, we actually I got them last year in our in our program. I just took them in the pots. How are they liking it so far? They're loving it. I mean, you say greenhouse, but it's not for this time of year. It's, it's for the for this winter time, yeah. time. It's for the winter time. Yeah. Um, probably by about November 1st or 15th, they'll have to go into a greenhouse. And for those of you that are in uh, northern Arizona, north of, of Prescott, because I get people saying, can I grow citrus trees up here? You can. They need to be indoors or in a greenhouse throughout the winter. But I'd say November, December, January, February, if you're you know in northern Arizona, they'd need to be in a greenhouse the rest of the time. They're probably going to do okay. And citrus, that's one of the things we'll get to later, just the ripening season. But a lot of it comes in the winter time. Yeah. Now, will they, they'll still produce in, in a greenhouse? You'll get the fruit in the winter time. I'm going to find out. <laughs> I'm, I, We're I'm experimenting. Thinking, I, I'm thinking it should just work fine. Cool. Yeah. Well, we've got Farmer Greg in studio with us. If you'd like to join the conversation or talk about your citrus trees, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. And you actually have a couple books here. Listen, you you mentioned oranges by John McPhee. I, mm-hmm. I like how simple that title is. Yeah. Right. This other one, the Citrus Industry Volume One. Yeah, that is a cool book. It's really for those of us that are deep in citrus. Uh, it was written in the '60s, and it is a uh, explanation and survey, and there was actually five volumes, uh, and uh, you know University of California put them out, and it's a survey of all the different thousands of different varieties of citrus that uh, actually grow on the planet, 
You know, and we just, unfortunately, we have one commercial grower here in the state. So if you're buying uh, Arizona state-grown citrus, it comes from Sunset Citrus Nursery down in Yuma. They're rock stars. There's third-generation um, growing citrus. And when the citrus psyllid uh, challenge hit about a decade ago, uh, citrus growers here in the state, if they were going to sell them and transport them, they were required to build um, essentially greenhouses without the film on them. They had, you know, they were sealed, uh, screened houses, uh, and they were quite expensive. So, um, unfortunately, we lost our other citrus growers, and we have one, and they are rocking it. And that's out of Yuma. You said Sun State? Sunset Citrus Sunset. Nursery. Sunset, yeah. got it. They're only wholesale, um, but uh, they're, they grow some great product. In fact, um, the product they brought us this year is stunning. And Arizona is one of the, you know, there, there's only a few states that citrus is grown in America. And mm-hmm. Arizona is one of those. Yep. California. Obviously, Florida. Florida. It's the name's on the orange juice box. <laughs> right. Although Florida's got a big problem right now. It's the citrus psyllid. It caused, the citrus psyllid is a bug that transports citrus greening disease. And if your trees get citrus greening disease, um, they the citrus doesn't ripen. So it just doesn't ripen. And uh, Arizona is working and California is working really hard to keep that out. And then the fourth state, I believe, is Texas. It would make sense. It's a fairly citrus is fairly tropical, easy. uh, You know, that's why you're talking about the greenhouses. It's one of the more frost sensitive uh, varieties that we do grow here. Yep. So you have to keep it south. Now, I was looking for citrus trees to purchase in North Carolina when I got there. And there actually is a a bunch of citrus trees that will grow um, in South Carolina. So I, you know, I have a supply of them back there so I can go get loaded up for the greenhouse I'm going to build. And are they different varieties, I'm assuming? Yes. Because you had mentioned in that volume Citrus, citrus there's just the thousands of different yeah. types and styles. So is it um, is it different varieties of oranges? Is it, is it all a, kinds? Different um, types I, of lemons, different yeah. types of grapefruit. All of them. Um, I was I was at a nursery this past weekend, and they had a calamondin, and a calamondin. I've never eaten one. It's a smaller one. It's used in Asian cooking. Asian cuisine, so, and it was like, I stopped and paused, and it's like, well, that's a curious citrus tree to have here. So what is, what color is it? The, uh, good question. <laughs> you, you'll find out again. You'll find out, <laughs> I, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of great information that Farmer Greg's put together on planting and being successful with your citrus. We'll dive all into that here at the broadcast. If you'd like to talk to Farmer Greg, one triple eight. 767-4348. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to 411-923, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need to send a picture for plant or insect identification. Come, let's plant a tree together. Come, let's plant a tree together. Come, let's plant a tree together. Plant a tree together. Let's go plant a tree. <laughs> oh my God! Funny, you should mention that. That's actually—you were talking during the break about why this is the perfect time of year for planting. For planting citrus. 
So plant, if you don't get the plant planted at the right time, with your garden, it can be disastrous. So if you're planting broccoli in March or April, it's, you know, it's immediately going to bolt. If you're planting cucumbers this time of year, forget about it. So understanding how and when to plant at the right time is really important, and I've deciphered a lot of that. You can get our planting calendar for your garden at plantingcalendar.org. And what I discovered over the years was that the best time to plant a citrus is right now. Because citrus doesn't like the heat, especially when it's first planted. And it doesn't like the cold. So if you can get it planted in the ground this month or early October, you're going to give it the best limb up to make it through the <laughs> through next summer. Pun intended there. <laughs> Pun intended, exactly. So planting your citrus right now uh, gets them started. They'll start getting acclimated to the space. Um, you know, with our warmer winters that we've been having, it's actually, you don't even have to, for the most part, you don't even have to cover the citrus uh, from frost. In fact, that in growing 30 citrus for 32 years at the urban farm, I never covered them. And I'm right here in central Phoenix. So it's just the winters, our mild winters are not a problem for them. They don't really like the heat the first year, so if we give them, you know, a good run up, so plant them in beginning of October, that means, what, eight months of growing before it gets really hot. So plant your citrus trees now. And when we're talking about the different types of citrus, mm -hmm. any citrus that grows in Arizona is the perfect time to plant? or Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And citrus, they're, you'd mentioned, you know, we've got a deciduous tree you may get a couple decades out of. We've got citrus trees that are 100 years old that are still producing. Yep. The oldest known one and made it at least 500 years that we know of. Yeah. But they don't start producing the first year. Right. So there's this process by which they have to get acclimated. And, you know, everybody wants to buy a citrus tree and have fruit on it the first year. And when you transplant anything, it goes through a, a shock and readjustment stage. Even if it's transplanting from a planter box at the nursery. Yeah, even if it's planting, transplanting from a planter box or a pot, exactly. It's going to slow it down. So there's this saying called grow roots, then grow shoots, then grow fruits. And so roots is the first year, shoots is the second year, fruits is the third year. So I've told people for years that, you know, you should expect fruit on your fruit tree, whatever kind you're growing, the third year. And um, if you, so we have at the Urban Farm, we've developed a really uh, extensive plan for success for your trees of foliar fertilizing, which is your spraying on the leaves and trunk, a granular fertilizing, putting, you, you all have heard me talk about my 6'6", six, six rural six-foot diameter basin, six inches of woody mulch, that's building soil underneath the tree. If you're doing all that, there is a chance that you can get fruit the second year. So now, first year is the year you plant it. So if basically 12 to 16 months into it being planted, you might get fruit the second year, generally the third year. And even if you get it the second year, it's not like it's going to, you know, enough to squeeze for the neighbors and set up a lemon stand. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But on a lemon tree, if you treat it right, you might be, you know, squeezing juice for lemonade in the third year 
because lemons are highly productive. They're the most highly productive citrus tree out there. And we have two, and that's way too many for six people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we we can't eat them all fast enough, and we juice a lot of them. I mean, uh, our youngest will go out every day and bring in lemons to squeeze. We've got a nice little uh, press that, you know, she can operate and makes her own lemonade. And, I mean, we still, at the end of the season, have Have, lemons left over. Yeah. And they're not tall. Uh, Our tallest lemon tree right now maybe maybe six feet. Wow. She needs to come to Grandma Jenny's and set up a stand. She, she won't have enough people out there right. on the west side to come get her lemonade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like freezing it in, like, ice cube trays because yeah. then you oh, can yeah. use it a little bit at a time in your yeah. drinks, and that's so good for you. Yeah, Beat me exactly. to the punch. I was going to ask you if you do that. Well, I just popped open my uh, – so I, I squeezed last year, and I took it back to North Carolina with me, and I just popped open my last jar that I had frozen <sighs> – so it's, you know, you can definitely squeeze it and freeze it and use it later. Um, yeah. And is there a particular type of lemon? You know, ours are Meyer, and those seem to be the most common. Uh, Meyer lemons, probably not the most common, but a lot of people have them. Meyer lemon is a sweeter lemon. Uh, usually you get a like a Eureka lemon. If, if somebody thought lemon... A Eureka lemon is that. You know, it's lemony, tart, uh, lots of juice, lots of seeds, but, you know, you're squeezing them. So I squeeze them in uh, something similar to what your, you know, juice squeezer is. And um, and then I filter the seeds out and stick it in the freezer. Well, at least that's what I did here. And we'll even do them in ice cube trays yep. for, yeah. you know, tea the next day or, you know, yeah, however exactly. long it takes to freeze. And so yeah. instead of... Use an ice in your tea that waters it down. And I love an Arnold Palmer, a, a mix of lemonade and tea, because yeah. tea by itself, is, you know, I, it needs a little something for me. Yeah. But I don't like to add sugar, because then the rest of the day I'm like. <laughs> exactly. So I usually add lemon. Well, you freeze the the orange juice, and you've got the, a nice lemon flavor to it without watering it down, which is one of the Woo-hoo. things that drives me nuts when you get an iced tea from or you know, you buy one from the store or a restaurant, like the glass is so full of ice. Yeah. And then by the time, you know, it's cool enough to drink, you're drinking, you know, tea-flavored water. water. <laughs> All right, we've got Farmer Greg talking plant your citrus. Now is the time. A flash, bam, out of an orange color sky. On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, I tell you, it is, that music, you know, is a reflection of how I feel when I go outside in the mornings to right. feed the horses. It's yeah. just so nice. There's a little chill. There's a little breeze. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a, had a lot of rain this summer. Yep. Just everything feels wonderful. And you kick great... your heels up going, flash, <laughs> bam. <laughs> and just a great time to be. Uh, planting citrus, yeah, which is what we're talking about today. Plant your citrus. And Greg, you've got the pop-up nursery. What time does that open up? Uh, Nine o'clock. And that's on 7th Street? 7th Street in Highland. It's 4549 North 7th Street. And it's a pop-up nursery because you're only there this time of year. If you're Six days. 
if you're looking for a nursery, don't look for a nursery. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's a, a friend of mine owns a painting warehouse. Terry Davidson, you might know him. He's a, uh, he's a, a painter for many decades, Davidson Bohannon Painting. And uh, they, it's a secondary warehouse that they have for storage and painting and fruit trees twice a year. So, um, yeah, so we're, and the reason it's, we call it a pop-up is because we're only open about 20 days a year. And it's on the east side of the road. It is on the east side of the road, just south, south of Highland. Highland yeah. Okay. And you're open at 9 o'clock and you're open until 3. So if you've got planting citrus on your to-do, you and it's one of those things you can't get today, but you could have two, three weeks to get it done, get home. Exactly. And we're going to go through the proper digging and planting and, you know, it – Done right, it it will it should take a few days to get everything set correctly. Exactly, we're going to talk about that. The other thing is, uh, we are closed from eleven thirty to twelve thirty for lunch today. And what's on the menu? Orange. Yeah, uh, well, no grapefruit. Uh, a little, yeah. little tablespoon of sugar on top. Yeah, there you go. Not in season yet. We should talk about what's citrus season. So, and we will get to all that. But I wanted to talk about something that you mentioned very quickly on the foliar fertilizing Mm -hmm. because we don't talk about that very much but we do have uh, a great interview that you had with uh high creations yep that's a foliar fertilizer that's made right here in arizona if you go to today's archive page Mm -hmm. at rosieonthehouse.com slash podcast you will see uh today's success with growing citrus in the desert with the urban farm in there, we've got a link back to that podcast that was in January of last yeah, year that good. was a very fascinating. I mean, I, I, of all the years we've been doing this, I think that's the only time we've ever talked foliar fertilizing. Yeah, foliar. So foliar is sprayed on fertilizer. It's organic, and uh, it's a, a mild fertilizer, but it doesn't need to be anything more than mild because what you're doing is you're getting a pump sprayer and you're putting an ounce of High Creations product. Um, Noble Gills is the fish one. Essence is the kelp one. So normally what I do in a gallon of water, I put an ounce of Noble Gills and an ounce of uh, the other one and a gallon of water, and I pump it up and I spray it right on the plants. And we are seeing extreme success with foliar feeding. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, summer of 2019 was our hottest summer on record, only to be beaten by summer of 2020, which was our hottest summer on record. And with those kind of extreme heats, we have to do, I'm going to use it again, we have to do anything that we can to give the trees a limb up. And um, uh, the foliar feeding is direct feeding right into their branches and leaves um, and you can actually do it as a drench too. So you just pour what's left over around the base so it gets into the roots. And the 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 success we're having is extreme. And how far will a gallon go? Of foliar feed? Mm-hmm. Of the... Like how big of a tree will that cover? Um, probably three medium-sized trees. Wow. Oh, it goes a long way. And... You had said an ounce of each, so we're talking two ounces in a gallon. A gallon of water is a, or a gallon is 128 yeah. ounces. So yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking dilution of 164th. Yeah, exactly. That's in, and and you can get three citrus trees trees done with that amount of 
yeah. dilution. Again, depending on the size of the tree, but you know, three medium-sized trees, that shouldn't be a problem at all. How, I'm trying how to often are you doing that? Ah, so Janice uh, is the manager of the urban farm, and she worked with High Creations and put together a uh, foliar feeding and granular feeding schedule. And ideally, Jennifer, you want to do it once every two weeks. Oh, okay. Throughout the year. Throughout the year. Throughout the year. Ooh, baby. Yeah. So even when, in the wintertime, when your deciduous trees are um, dormant, you're going to spray them. Mm. And it takes it right in through the, the bark of the tree and has them fruit more vigorously. These guys at High Creations, Derek's and um, Anthony, uh, have been doing their research. They have, both have degrees from U of A uh, in this science of you know, of getting plants fertilized. So they're doing amazing work. And it's, again, it doesn't get any more local than that. Local education, local yep. product, local resources. Obviously, you had mentioned the fish and the kelp. That's that's imported. That's imported. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to figure out a way if we can get, like, uh, you know, the, the, the pest control guys to turn in their scorpion count to them or something and turn that into some kind of <laughs> right source our products local here well let's get to the planting method because you okay. have um a couple things unique about your whole preparation for the tree yep. that is different than I've, I've heard anywhere else yeah and you know a lot of nurseries and a lot of people just dig a hole and stick a tree in the ground good luck with that because you're planting it in straight dirt. Your job as a grower of anything is to create healthy soil. And if you've been listening to, listening to me on Rosie uh, for any time at all, you've heard me talk about the five components of healthy soil. It's your job to build healthy soil. Those components are dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. The good news is, is it's easy fix. Add lots and lots and lots of organic matter. So when you plant your tree, I encourage people to do a six-foot diameter basin around the tree that's six inches deep. And even if you're planting a five-gallon tree that's only got, you know, a one foot of roots yep. diameter, yep. it'll six, get to six feet. Exactly. And at that interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, it starts breaking down very quickly and making really healthy soil. Um, it attracts the worms, it holds on to water, it insulates the soil so it's not so hot. So lots and lots of woody mulch. Planting with gravel underneath your tree is a surefire way to kill your trees, any tree. And anything that you plant, tree, bush, like that, if you put a six-foot diameter basin with woody mulch in it, it's going to th thrive a lot better. So that's the basin around the tree. The tree hole itself, generally... And this depends on the size of the pot you're planting. But generally, you want to do a two-foot by two-foot square hole that's a foot deep. And that square is one of the things I wanted to make sure. Because when you dig a hole, your tree's round, trunk's round. You dig a round hole, and you know, a round hole's easier to dig than a square hole. A little but bit. Your your point on the squ why a square. Yeah. So if you've ever, you know, popped a plant out of... Uh, out of a pot and see it root bound you know the roots mm -hmm. basically get to the end of the pot and they start growing around and around and around and around in a circle and before long it's the roots are bound up in that pot with our hard soil here in the desert the same thing can happen in your tree hole i've seen it so a couple of years ago somebody especially if you don't cut the roots of the tree once you take it out of the round potting you know every 
if it's root bound, you have to right. loosen up the roots. If it's not, none of our trees are. Uh, if it's not root bound, you just plant it. Um, but the reason for a square hole is because roots won't do a 90 degree turn. You know, roots will, if you have a round hole, it'll do a nice round root thing in there. And it can actually, like I said, get root bound in the hole. If you do a square hole, it gets to the end of the the wall that it's, you know, working on. And it's not going to turn 90 degrees. It's going to continue digging. So we found some success with that. And then the next thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you add 60% of some kind of planting mix in the hole. So what I instruct people to do is take 40% of the dirt from the hole. Remember, dirt is one component of healthy soil. But if that's all you have, good luck growing anything. You're going to add lots of organic matter. And in this case, the organic matter is a planting mix. Uh, we have Farmer Greg's planting mix from Tank's Green Stuff down in Tucson. That's a great product. Um, and uh, so you put 40% dirt, 60% uh, planting mix in the wheelbarrow and mix it up. And then we have a special mix. It's uh, azomite. Azomite is a micronutrient. There's 70 micronutrients in it. Rock dust. And we're going to have you put two pounds of of uh, azomite in the wheelbarrow and mix it up. We're going to have you put in two pounds of worm castings from our friends over at Arizona Worm Farm. And the worm castings have biological life. Remember the five components of healthy soil, dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. And worm poop or worm castings is magically alive. Plus, there's worm eggs in it. So you add two pounds of the worm castings in the wheelbarrow and mix it up, and then two ounces of mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza is a fungal root inoculant that help, that attaches to the roots and helps the roots harvest minerals and water. So you have your square hole, 40% dirt, 60% planting mix, two pounds of azomite, two pounds of worm castings, and two ounces of mycorrhiza all mixed up. You're going to plant your tree on a mound in the middle, so it's kind of sitting up in the, uh, higher. Use that stuff in the wheelbarrow around the base of the tree, and then fill at least the six-foot diameter basin with at least six inches of woody mulch. And there you just set yourself up for fruit tree planting and growing success. And a lot of things that you won't hear anywhere else. So the square hole versus round. Yep. Uh, 60%. Mix Planting where mix. a lot of people just say 50 50. Yeah, but uh, you're also not digging as deep, but you're digging a wider basin. So yes, there might be the same amount of dirt move, but it's different. Uh, and planting it too deep is a problem, you know. That's you're not going to get your, your 100 years worth out of your trees, planted <laughs> or maybe <too> deep. <laughs> even if you plant it too deep, you could, you know, it could die immediately. Um, so, and there, there's another really important thing to do. It's called a perk test or a percolation test. And basically what you do is you stick a hole and you dig your hole. You stick a hose in the hole and fill up the hole. See how long it takes to drain. If there is standing water in the hole, like a lot of standing water in the hole, 24 hours later, you got to dig deeper. doesn't happen very often. Uh, and Janice, manager of the urban farm, she's done a lot of work around that because she, when she went to plant her fruit trees, dug a hole, did a perk test, 48 hours later, <laughs> it was still full. Found found the caliche pan. Yeah, exactly. So 
I wouldn't imagine that would be too rare, actually, because we have so much clay in the soil. It seems like... We do, but th that that happened to Janice is, interestingly, it is rare. Huh. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, because if you fill up a hole and it's empty within four to eight hours, which is mostly most of the time, um, that's pretty standard. Okay. Yeah. And so if it stays there longer, like you said, dig deeper. Yeah. But you don't want to backfill that with your with potting soil because that will all compress. I mean, backfill that with a lot more of your natural dirt. dirt. Not, not the caliche that you dug out, but the dirt from, you know, the top foot or two. Well, and if you could just break up the caliche often, that does it. And then the roots will do the rest once, yeah, exactly. it's, once it's broken up. Then exactly. They'll do their digging. All right, we've got one final segment left with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House. The lovely lemon tree, lemon tree, very pretty, and the lemon flowery sweet, but the fruit of the... Now, I don't like starting a segment going backwards, but I'm going to do it really quick because right. you had mentioned Arizona worm casting, and again, in today's archive page, we have a link back to that interview. If you missed it in July, we had Arizona worm castings on for an hour with Farmer Greg. Yep. And I say we, you have them. Zach Brooks, Arizona Worm Farm, and uh, Zach Where Brooks. Where you get your worm castings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And they are doing amazing work. If you get an opportunity, they're at 19th and Southern. They do tours on Saturdays, and check them out, man. They are doing amazing work at and Arizona Worm Farm. It's it's one of those things you think there's no way you could go listen to an hour-long podcast about worms, but that is one of the most fascinating hours. And It is. I mean, what you – what there is to learn about worms is incredible. It and is. One of his, my biggest takeaway that I enjoyed from it was what he does with all of his packaging. You know, oh, if you yes. get cardboard boxes, whether it's from cereal boxes or Amazon trash, boxes, Amazon box, you yeah. know, your trash bag boxes that it comes in, he doesn't throw any of that away, wets it, feeds it to his worms. That turns into his compost that he uses to grow his food. I mean, that. And and if you've been to any of the transfer stations mm -hmm. for recycling, a fraction of whatever goes into your recycling bin ever gets recycled. Eight percent. Eight, and I've, I've, that's higher number than I have even heard. Yeah. And, and and part of it is just because there's no one buying it. You know, exactly. what, what are you going to do with it once it's recycled? You have to have a buyer for that. Yeah. Well, he takes all of that and uses it to again turns it into compost. So, the worms do it for him. Puts yeah. that into his garden, grows his food. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about – I do the Urban Farm podcast. We have over 700 episodes. And one of the things I love about it is I get to learn from people new things. You know, in every interview, I learn something. I didn't know that about the cardboard. I did not know that about the cardboard. I was buying cocoa peat and using cocoa peat in my worm bins. And so since then – I've been, you know, just roughly shredding up the cardboard and sticking it in there. The worms love it. They are all over it. And it was it was an, an eye-opener for me. And you don't have to look around very far to see that we have an abundance of cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's get to the last talking points for today. So you can get the podcast for Arizona Worm Farm and for High Creations. Both those mm -hmm. links are in today's archive page. It'll have this podcast, uh, this broadcast as a podcast as well. You can re-listen to and follow along on uh, all the steps it takes to plant your citrus correctly. Yeah, excellent. So let's talk about 
citrus trees, citrus ripening, and some of my favorites. So one of the things that I set out many years ago to do is to have what we in permaculture called an, an old-growth food forest. And I recently watched a video that I put on uh, YouTube about all of the things that, were to, that we could eat in the yard at the urban farm. And it was m a massive amount. The, the, the landscape at the urban farm, it's still there. Uh, I sold the, the urban farm to a really nice family that is doing, continuing the gardening work. And um, what my goal was, was to always have something to eat in the yard. And it wasn't one or two things. It was eight or 10 or 12 things. And part of the process was, all right, so what fruit trees can I plant so that I have some fresh fruit every month of the year? And the nice thing about citrus is citrus starts ripening mid-November with the navel oranges. And uh, then Travita oranges are next in January, February, and Arizona sweets come after them. So we can literally get six to seven months of fruit off of our oranges, tangerines, lemons, because the, and they come in the wintertime. So November, December, January, February, March, April, and May was when I got citrus off of my citrus trees. And I am a big, big eater. That I had uh, 14 navel or navel-like oranges at the property at uh, the urban farm. And people say, what did you do with all that fruit? And I was like, I eat it. <laughs> That's the one of the biggest things I'm going to miss by not living here and having my citrus trees. I think Farmer Greg's the only person I know of that is not vitamin C deprived. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So... Um, that's the cool thing about citrus is they stay on the tree for a long time. With a peach, you have about six days. With a navel orange, you have about three months. And it just stays there ripe. It, it it, just, that is. Yeah. It just, and they, they ripen slowly. You can actually, you know, when they start to ripen, they're actually ripe. You can harvest them and eat them. Uh, and... Uh, they will stay on the tree for three to four months before they fall off. And if they, when they fall off, we just let them decompose right there, dry out. Yeah, uh, you can do that. You know, I know there's areas that have, you know, rats that are in very old neighborhoods mm -hmm. and, you know, old planted in, or built in old citrus groves. So you can't do that everywhere, but we don't have that problem. Right. And we just, we let that build up the, the natural organics. Yeah. And interestingly enough, it, at the urban farm near 16th street and um glendale i didn't have the a rat a roof rat problem those are the ones that eats the eat the uh, citrus farmer greg thanks for another farmtastic broadcast and fruittrees.org is where you can find out more information about our fruit tree program and the pop-up nursery today on at seventh on seventh street just south of highland we have some big signs three. yep and then next weekend again